Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of timely developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, it's great to be with you as always. Thank you for joining our listeners, our clients here on a Monday. Looking forward to our conversation. I know there's a lot of timely developments we want to bring our listeners up to speed on. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you on this Monday, especially since so much has happened probably over the weekend. Absolutely. So, Shane, with that, markets have been rattled over the swift and sudden failure of Silicon Valley Bank as well as Signature Bank. This began late last week. It carried over into the weekend. So I'm curious, Shane, how is the federal government responding and how is the Treasury Department currently characterizing the condition of the U.S. banking system? Yeah, a lot going on here, obviously, Dan. You know, uh I think uh, over the weekend, federal authorities, you know, took um, necessary steps to, you know, try and calm the storm here and bring some um, um, needed reassurance uh, to the banking system. And to, to, to your comment, you know, the Treasury Department has said that the banking system is strong. So what we saw over the weekend was Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, all you know, takes action to ensure that, you know, um, losses by individuals would be uh, backed by the FDIC and, you know, um, those uh, who had savings with uh, the Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank, two separate institutions um, that have been uh, uh, impacted, that, you know, those people with savings there, you know, would have be able to get access to their money. Um, you know, and President Biden was quite clear this morning that, you know, there are those um, who have their money there and then there are investors in those uh, institutions, which, you know, in his his mind, they took risk by investing in it, understood the risk, and the risk is, has come back that, you know, they may not, um, they may lose most of their investment. So, you know, there are different aspects to this, and, you know, there are still a lot of questions, obviously. I think you'll see um, Congress start to step in with hearings uh, soon. Although, you know, what you've seen um, from Treasury Secretary Yellen and many others is, you know, them stating that there would not be a bailout. And I think, you know, given today's political climate, uh, the, the bailout, word bailout is, uh, extremely incendiary. So, you know, uh, some of us just call it the B word. And, and so I think the B word is that, uh, is foreboding right now. So you're not going to see Congress step in and, and do a, a, a bailout by any means. So, you know, there is absolutely more to come, uh, to just reassure that the financial system is still safe. But, you know, uh, there may be some more uh, impact that we still have to wait and see on. But this uh, will be a story that develops over days and weeks and possibly months, you know, because it still remains to be seen if there will be a, a congressional response. You know, obviously you have um, some aggressive, uh, progressive members who are calling for, you know, enhanced uh, regulations. But there are, are a number of Republicans that are pumping the brakes right now on that. So, um, you know, I think we have to kind of also see how uh, 
if there is a contagion effect, if, if there are other banks swept into this or if this is contained to these two financial institutions. I think that if, if it is contained, you know, that gives Republicans some um, uh, footing to say, hey, this was done properly and contained. We don't need to, you know, um, revisit regulations right now. You know, uh, it has been noted that Former Congressman Barney Frank, a um, progressive who uh, obviously his namesake is the Dodd-Frank law, which um, uh, imposed a lot of these regulations. You know, he was on the board of um, Signature Bank, and he is pointing to crypto as kind of one of the reasons that uh, this institution uh, was taken over by the feds, not that, you know, regulations were soft. So, you know, there is um, a back and forth about what is the under lying uh, issue here and if that needs to be addressed. Well, thank you, Shane. To your point, a lot to play out. So we'll see how this further develops over the next few days and perhaps weeks and helpful clarity in terms of how the government has responded and how they haven't responded if you draw comparisons to the financial crisis back in 2008. So thank you for keeping our listeners up to speed and we'll continue to track this very closely. I do want to pivot a bit to a development from late last week. This was highly anticipated. President Biden outlined on Thursday, his budget proposal for 2024. A lot to dig into here, but Shane, can you speak to what some of the key parameters call for? Yes, in a $6.8 trillion budget, there is a lot to dig into, and obviously we're not going to have enough time for all that. But, you know, I think, you know, looking at the highlights, you're seeing um, um, continued spending by the Biden administration and in a number of areas that we anticipated, you know, I think what was not a big surprise, but a little bit of a surprise was um, the funding for the military um, and defense. And you saw actually some progressives who are a little uh, incensed over the spending level. You know, they would rather see more focus on some of the things that are in the budget, you know, like um, uh, enhancing the child um, uh, tax credit or, you know, focusing on $35 insulin for all Americans, not just those on uh, Medicare, increase for food security, um, looking at uh, Medicaid spending, trying to help more people afford college, you know, um, universal preschool and affordable childcare, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on, um, as you can imagine, a $6.8 trillion budget. But Republicans were quick to pick up on this and push back and say, you know, this is a path forward on uh, fiscal insanity um, and noted that it, that his budget contains $5 trillion in tax increases or almost $5 trillion in tax increases over the next decade. And, you know, at a time when our economy is, is kind of fragile in some respects, you know, adding that burden to many small businesses they don't believe is, is the right uh, recipe for the economy. Um, and it's, and the additional spending, Republicans are very concerned about that, it, given the context of we're heading into a major uh, budget battle with the debt uh, surpassing $31 trillion and the debt ceiling that needs to be increased this summer or else uh, the U.S. could default on its debt, which, again, we still believe the debt ceiling will be increased. But, you know, again, we do think this uh, budget release kind of kicks off that. Um, battle between Republicans and Democrats on the budget. 
So this is kind of that opening um, salvo from President Biden and, and Democrats, and we're really going to see um, the the rhetoric dialed up over the coming days and weeks. So clearly this carries with it a lot of implications, even as it relates to the debt ceiling, as you pointed out for us, Shane. I, I have to imagine, I suspect, the proposal as is, as was written, uh, perhaps dead on arrival once it makes its way up to Capitol Hill. What do you think the road ahead looks like here as far as negotiations? And can you speak a bit further in terms of what the reception has consisted of thus far to what we've seen? Great question. The reception is what we anticipated, which is, you know, um, the president released his budget and uh, Republicans decried it as irresponsible. Um, and, you know, to some extent, this is an annual affair where, you know, uh, you know, President Trump would introduce his budget and Democrats would, you know, um, cry foul and were in the opposite um, scenario today. Um, and I think, you know, here we are in mid-March. You know, we're not going to see a full response from Republicans for uh, weeks, weeks, if not about two months. You know, they're starting to work on their uh, budget proposal, which they'll try to advance probably in early May um, out of the House. And, you know, that will be a kind of another, you know, big milestone, I think, in this upcoming uh, debt ceiling um, uh, fight. You know, in between then, we're going to keep an eye on, though, for uh, tax returns, because that will have a big uh, impact on when exactly Congress must deal with the debt ceiling. You know, right now, Trump, uh, the most recent projection from Treasury Secretary Young was early June. If tax receipts come back in, you know, April uh, strong, then that date could be pushed into July or even further. If they come in week, you know, uh, it, it could be that the, the date when Congress must act by could be in May. So there's some fluidity here that, you know, the, the coming weeks will um, help us uh, understand, you know, kind of where this is all heading or give us maybe a better timing. And, you know, as for the, um, you know, specifics of how we're going to get through this, that, is, that obviously still remains a mystery. I think there are. Um, a lot of different groups within Congress, you know, in the Senate and the House, there are bipartisan efforts to try and look for a way forward. Um, the House Freedom Caucus, which is uh, the most conservative Republicans in the House, uh, kind of released their demands for uh, what it would take for them to increase the debt ceiling the other week. So right now is, is a time where People are talking past each other by putting out kind of what they think should be done. But eventually that may help them come together of, you know, see where there are uh, some commonalities and, you know, where are there uh, areas of maybe not agreement, but interest where they could negotiate something and, and come to a solution. So um, last week was, um, I think, the first big step towards this uh, debt ceiling uh, a fight that we're heading into and that we know we're heading into. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, it's, I, I don't want to say good first step because, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be so fluid, but I think this was the first step that we knew was coming in and it's good to see that, um, both sides are still 
trying to look for a solution. Well, thank you, Shane, for the color around where we stand today. As you pointed out, sounds like we have a bit of a road ahead of us. So we'll, of course, continue to keep our listeners, our clients current on how this all unfolds in the in the weeks and perhaps months to come. Uh, before we close out, maybe one more topic we can hit on this week, maybe turning to geopolitics a bit. We did hear recently that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he's set to meet with the president of Taiwan in the coming weeks. This during a visit to the United States by the president of Taiwan. So running with that point, any significance there, Shane, behind the location, the geography of this meeting, and any sense for what the agenda might consist of at this point? Yeah, no, I think there is. And I think, you know, um, it's noted by the Chinese government. You know, um, the Chinese government was very unhappy when uh, former Speaker Pelosi went to Taiwan. and And there was conversation about uh, Speaker McCarthy going to Taiwan. And and so Speaker McCarthy meeting with the Taiwanese president in California takes a little bit pressure off. Um, but also to McCarthy, this is notable from the perspective of it's California, it's his home state, but also it's going to be at the Reagan Institute. And, you know, President Reagan, who is revered by Republicans for, you know, standing up to communism, um, you know, there is some kind of uh, homage to Reagan and the former uh, fights between the U.S. and uh, the USSR still being uh, relevant this day, um, but now it's the U.S. and China having um, real difficulties. Further, I would note that, you know, this meeting is happening uh, not in Washington, D.C., not in Speaker McCarthy, not in the Capitol, not in Speaker McCarthy's offices. And so, you know, there has been some talk about Speaker McCarthy essentially threading the needle here by, you know, not having it in China or in Washington and kind of while still in the U.S. is somewhat of a neutral um, turf. And I think China recognizes that and and that helps bring a little bit of the pressure down. China will still obviously um, be quite verbose when this meeting happens in a few weeks. Um and, you know, but, you know, I think they need to do that for, you know, um, to save face to some extent and, you know, to make sure that their message is still received, that they're unhappy about this, even though that the United States government, uh, you know, Speaker McCarthy um, is is pleased to be meeting with the Taiwanese government, you know, and pleased to push back on China. Um, this is still a sensitive topic, and you know he understands that. Right, Shane. To your point, this continues to be a pressing geopolitical topic. So, looking forward to discussing some takeaways from that meeting in the weeks to come. Though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by here on a Monday afternoon for the Washington Weekly podcast. A lot of timely insights you provided to our listeners, our clients today, and as always, a lot here that we can look forward to updating our listeners on in the weeks to come. So thank you again, Shane, and look looking forward to picking back up with the conversation again with you next week. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Dan. Look forward to catching up with you and everyone else soon. Definitely. Thank you, Shane. Appreciate it. Today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. I do want to remind our listeners, our clients of UBS, uh, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.